Hello and welcome to episode 224 of Effect, per ardua ad astra. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And as usual, we've got a packed show for you today. Um, we've got uh, a bit of World of Gaming stuff to talk about, as we usually do. And, um, well, I say we've got a packed programme, so we've got, we've got our usual packed uh, World of Gaming. But then, we, um, then we've just got... One boring article from Matthew about war stories and Masters of the Air. It's not a boring article boring. at all. It's not. It's a. It's a very good article actually, and I. Um, I, I think I've got quite a lot to say about it. Excellent. So, um, but yes. So it's. Uh, it's a slim down episode. It won't be long. You know, you don't need to like sit here for two hours like you do sometimes. We'll be done in. We'll be done minutes, in an hour. So. Uh, <laughs> Mm, have we heard that? It is before, actually somewhere? one of my <laughs> longest articles I think I've ever presented on here. I've, I'm halfway through editing and it's still about 20 minutes. It'll come down. It'll be 20? 15. Blimey. Yeah, I, I, I just um, <clears throat> do retakes straight on. So. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. Now, it's a good article. So um, if you're interested in war stories and Masters of the Air and Matthew's musings on, uh, on running a like a war stories bomber crew campaign then um then stick with us yeah if not just just piss off go and do <laughs> just something off. <laughs> yeah what was it what was it they had on that wasn't tis was it was um oh what was it called uh why don't you why don't you Remember just switch kid, off your television kids and program go and, do less something and go and do go outside and do something better instead uh, yep exactly which is, it was great for a TV program, a kids TV program, to say that I, you wouldn't get that nowadays. I don't think you would, would you? No, yeah. no, no, not at all. I mean, even though I suspect you know the kids didn't go, oh yeah, good point, click, and off they went. Um, it was a nice sentiment actually, because that because it it was often on during the summer holidays, yeah. I seem to recall, and you know it was usually quite nice and sunny outside, and so you shouldn't be sat on your fat ass eating crisps watching television all day. Yeah, so they had a good I point. always thought there'd be things like they'd, they'd go and, you know, they'd do makes and things like that. And you think, well, the reason I'm not doing that is I don't have all that stuff that you guys have got. You know, the sticky yeah, back plastic <clears throat> and stuff like that. Anyway, anyway, let's not talk about children's television. <laughs> this is not a children's television of the 70s podcast, I want to point out to you. What do we it, talk about in this be. podcast? It could be. We talk about... All sorts of gump. But <laughs> we talk what, about world of gaming. Generally, games. The, yes, and very often Swedish games, of which um, we uh, have news on a couple. I say Swedish. I mean freely, <laughs> really. Um, so finally, finally, I have in my hands years, literally years, almost I don't know a decade since they promised it in their first Kickstarter. Mutant Year Zero Ad Astra. And I think actually Indeed. some of our Swedish fans pointed out that Ad Astra was coming out maybe before Free League even started uh, in Sweden. It's been promised since the previous edition of Mutant, and it's finally here. Um, mm -hmm. Now, through a slight cock-up, we've got two, not one, but two review copies. <laughs> and We do. Each. You know what I've noticed on the back? Have you got a copy in your hand, Dave, as you talk? I have, yes. So, turning over to the back, we see we've got Free League's logo there. And we also have Heroic Signatures. 
That's yeah, a new okay. brand we haven't seen before. I haven't heard of that before. No. No. It. Have you have you look have you looked them up in preparation? No, for no, the no. Show, I haven't. I've only just noticed it just like two seconds ago, Dave, <laughs> when I said, "Hey, turn over and look on the back of the book." Um, now, just noticing that uh, Heroic Signatures is a trademark of Cabinet Licensing. Cabinet Licensing is the yeah. licensing company that owns the mutant logo, and I think they own um, uh, Conan as well, which should be of particular interest to um, somebody not too far away from your podcast, Mike. Dave? Well, that's... Save it till the end. Interesting, because... (laughs) Because... World of gaming, I was going to say, but... Yeah, yeah. save it till Uh, the end. Okay, We can talk about it more in the next episode. Um, (laughs) That's uh, true, yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, this, this looks to me like a combination of a campaign... It's not, it feels to me, it's not like a whole campaign in itself. It's arguably one, but it may actually turn out to be more adventures. But it all seems to be going in one direction. And that is into space. Um. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So if I'd, if I'd played more Mutant, then I might be kind of more ready for this. Because the thing I always loved about Mutant Year Zero is the post-apocalyptic, grungy, nothing actually works kind of thing. And this, you know, Ad Astra obviously takes you into a, a realm of that game where, you know, you're in space and things actually have to work. So you go from a very low tech scrabbling things together using scrap literally in mutant year zero to to get you know to, to, to build items to flying spaceships and wearing spacesuits and stuff so i don't know i mean i think if i'd gone through even one of the campaigns <clears throat> in in mutant year zero or gen lab alpha or um mechatron uh or even um what's the other one called mm. uh, elysium um, then maybe I would have felt ready to go on to this kind of final piece which brings all of those stories together or all of those stories can end all of those can- campaigns can end in this 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 long adventure as it is um but otherwise but but without having done that this it doesn't really feel mutant year zero to me because it's in space. And it's now they do have a box out somewhere. What I have read, and I'm trying to find that box out so I can quote from it, but I may not find it in time. That kind of says, just because it's space, it's still um, uh, uh, recycled and nothing works properly. It's just a lot more dangerous if it doesn't work, sort of thing. So, um, so uh, yeah, I think they acknowledge that, and 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 they to some degree address your concerns. But um, I can't find the quote where it actually yeah. says that, and I'm going to give up looking. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a f- I do, I do, I do vaguely, <clears throat> I do vaguely remember reading something like that. Um, but that, I mean, that's fine. But it's not like you're making making a spacesuit out of, you know, a plastic no. bag and no, you know, you're making it out of. Um, uh, so I mean, it's uh, I don't know. Uh, oh God, what do they do? Uh, gaffer tape and um, an, an oxygen mask, like they did in. Uh, 
<laughs> oh, have you you've not? Um, I better I better shut up. You haven't seen um, Fool Mankind, have you? Right. Okay. No, I haven't seen I will, that. Yeah, I, I will. will. I would like to see it. Up. Yeah. So no, no spoilers. Um. Uh, um. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's a lovely book. It's I mean, it it's not chunky, shall we say? Um. And I think you know we've probably had this conversation before, where Free League have mm. have been the victims of their own success, in that a lot of their early books were chunky, and when they now produce a book that isn't chunky, you feel a little bit cheated is too strong a word, but you know it's like where's my chunky book? <laughs> yeah, know? I know what you mean. Um, but yeah, I mean that's yeah. Um, but again, it's got all the usual production values. It's lovely, looks lovely. Um, as you were saying earlier, the it, 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 there's quite a lot of content in here to run through, you know, campaign or adventure content. But it's not it's not like a massive campaign that you would you would expect in say you know Coriolis or Simbaroom or something. Uh, it's more a, a selection of adventures, but they do have a nice little, you know, additional rules and new talents, um, and then they give you a bit of <clears throat> uh, a bit of guidance about creating, uh, or about the solar system and about things in and around the solar system. So, so it's cool. I like it in that sense. I mean, you know me; I never tend to play pre-produced, printed campaigns or scenarios. Anyway, um, I know I much prefer to create my own. So my mutant year zero, I think, would go in a in a different direction, and I almost feel that finding Eden mm -hmm. is you know, is something that should probably never happen. You know, the the characters might find their Eden, as in somewhere that you know, compared to the Ark, is is paradise and is a place where they can settle, and the campaign ends with them living happy ever after. But I think you know, f actually finding Eden. Um, it's probably something I would never run for a mutant campaign because it should always be, you know, a bit mysterious, a bit mythical, you know, a bit legendary. Um, does it really exist? Is it really there? Should we keep searching for it? Kind of thing. When you know we'll probably never find it. Yeah, yeah, I um, can and understand that sentiment. Yeah. Uh, I still want to play a um, uplifted rabbit. Um, in space though so uh i win i <laughs> um <laughs> well i mean we all win because you could then play yeah the game yeah. that you want to play and i could play the game i want to play so then you would need you would need to play general lab alpha go go through the general lab alpha campaign have your rabbit escape and then move on find to Eden you know and Ad get into uh, Ad Astra, yeah i think it's interesting that it does sort of tie together all the different backgrounds um you know, so whichever yeah. whichever campaign you you've come out of, you could either um, just go straight into Ad Astra with those characters, or you could you know run each of the uh, core books, and then choose your favourite surviving character from from each game, and have that be the crew that goes up into Ad Astra. Yes. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I mean, say so the say the one thing I do like about the whole Mutant Year Zero kind of range. Is exactly that the, you, the 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 additional books that came out give you a new campaign and a new a new angle on on the original game, and you know you could play through all of those. I I do kind of 
I, 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 there's a bit of me that would very much like to go back and and run or even play in those mm. campaigns. But the one that really interests me the most is the Mechatron one, where as part of the campaign, your characters are kind of struggling with the fact that they've realised they've become mm. sentient and they've re- they've suddenly got self awareness and it's it's they have to kind of hide that a bit because that looks yeah. like a malfunction. They will and get the, repaired, yeah, and the repair robots will go and will go and repair you, and basically take away your your sentience in in doing so. And so I I do really like that. I think it's a lovely model. Um, and it works so you know works really well in this. I'll be interested to see the sales figures for each book. Mm. You know, has it has it kept a, a momentum and a and a core kind of uh, fan base, or as I suspect, it, you know, is the reality has the number of sales dropped off for each book as it's gone. That down generally happens in every line, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I think it, it does. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah, absolutely. D&D, but I mean, because these are slightly different. Um, they they aren't they aren't just expansions. Mm. They are new games in themselves. Yeah, well, those, those are. I mean, I think universe. some people might be a bit disappointed to find that this book isn't itself a standalone game. Um, but yeah, but I think it's probably wise. I mean, how often do you want the same rule set? You know, recycled broadly the same rule set. Yes, that's set. true. Yeah, it does broadly. have extra rules for space and some extra careers and stuff like that, so you can build new characters on it. Um, so it does have a little bit of extra rules, but it's mostly adventure. And it looks great fun. And it's coming out yeah. later this month um, into the shops if you haven't already uh, pre-ordered it. Um, there's another thing coming out. Is, is something else coming cool. out later this month? I think it is from Free League. <laughs> we have the um, we have the announcement of the Dragon Bane mm. Beastery is coming out on the twenty seventh of February. So in what three yeah. weeks from now, um, yeah, that's uh, we haven't got review copies of that though. That's yet, good to we? hear. No. Um, no, no, I haven't seen. Uh, and uh, uh, so yeah, so and and of course that comes out with a. a more traditionally hard-backed core book for Dragonbane as well. If you weren't into the box set, I think the box set, for me, if you haven't got Dragonbane yet, the box set is the way to go. Um, and if you've got too many role-playing games, the box set is to give to one of your children or nephews or nieces. Mm-hmm. It is a perfect way for a young person to start role-playing. I keep saying that, and I will keep saying it. But... Um, I like the box set best. Mm. I'm I'm slightly less interested in a hardback core book, but um, I guess that is the tradition for role playing games. So, I guess it's wise that they do it in that format too. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the box set is 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 great mm. for a beginner. Um, I I do like hardback books. I I'm not going to be getting Dragonbane more Dragonbane. I've got the box set, the starter set already. So. And I, I suspect, um, you know, whenever I want to play a fantasy game, Forbidden Lands will trump. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a ta- huge table, Forbidden so. Lands fan. I, I, um, I gave my box yeah, set away. Me too. In me fact, too. at um, at UK Comic Con, yeah. At Comic Con, didn't um, you? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I am by no cool. means an expert in Dragonbane, which may prove controversial. 
before the end of this world of gaming cycle. Um, Now, a bit of news that we missed a couple of weeks ago uh, is that there is a new Year Zero engine game planned, not from Free League or from, rather, from another company called Gehenna Gaming. And that... uh, I noticed I mm-hmm. I noticed like the day after we recorded the last episode that um there was an extant existing campaign on um Kickstarter for their game called Eldrick Automata. Now well Eldritch, mm, yes Eldritch you're right. Automata, uh, yeah. And um now they didn't come and talk to us. We'd have loved to have interviewed them as uh, as the world's <laughs> premier uh, As we year do. zero yep. podcast. I say premier only because we were the first, not necessarily because we're Indeed. the best. Um, and <laughs> well, we were, were we first in Sweden? Uh, I... it, 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 certainly the first yeah, English speaking. Yeah, yeah, yes, definitely the first English speaking one. Yes, I guess so. <laughs> but yeah, but 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 by <laughs> premier, we also mean the best, of course. Where where else do you get so, content like waffle. this? Yeah. You know, this is this is just gold podcast podcast. And as you'll podcast note, entirely gold. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. Now they yes, didn't come on the show. This, could you? That's for sure. Uh, and you wouldn't. And they, you wouldn't they didn't come you, on the and show and, they prom- and promote their Kickstarter. Yes, anyway, and that's, of course, it failed. Um, it. Uh, but they are going to, they, they reached about half their and target thus. and their target was quite ambitious. Uh, they were looking for. It was 50, 50 grand, wasn't it? So. Yeah. Um, um, and I don't yeah. know which money that was in. Is that in dollars or pounds? No, anyway, so it was definitely not 50,000 kroner, was it? 51,452 uh, pounds was their goal. Mm. So I guess that was, yeah. I don't know, $60,000 or something. Um, and and they, I think they reached about half of that. They got just under thirty thousand pledged. So actually, mm, the pledge right. amount for a for a game, and I think this is their first. Their very first, yeah. So I mean, thirty grand for a first creation is a pretty good level of backing. Um, just maybe their mistake was was being over ambitious on on the pledge target. Mm. If they'd gone for um, thirty grand, they might have got it. If they'd gone for obviously less than twenty nine no. five eighty two, they'd definitely have got it. Um, yeah, but Dave, 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 their mistake was not coming to talk to us about their Year Zero game. <sighs> Come on, keep keep the narrative going. <laughs> okay, okay. We would have given We're them the kingmakers a, here. a 45% boost on their on their on their on their <laughs> Kickstarter. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Uh, How many backers do they have giving them that 453. Yeah, I'm see I'm sure we've got another 400 listeners. You see, we were we were the, <laughs> we were the shop Blasted them through their target. Anyway, uh, we couldn't have hurt. Uh, anyway, put it that way, couldn't have hurt talking to us. I, I, I've um, commiserated with them on the failure of the campaign. They're going to restart it with a slightly different format, and importantly, I think get more actual plays out and more and and an actual quick start that people can see. Yeah. Um, in advance of the game, which I think will all help. They will, I'm sure, come on the show next time because I've told them they have to. Um, <laughs> so. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting... They'll relaunch that later in the year. I mean, we, we had a conversation about this when you first sort of saw it a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And, yeah, it, it seems like they've taken 
lots of things and said, oh, let's pack them all into one game. That'll be great. And I wonder if it just seems a bit, I don't know, a bit, a bit. I don't know. I, I think it's not necessarily a genre you're, you're into, but it's Cthulhu and it's giant robots. And yeah. there have been successful versions of that. Um, I can't remember. There was one a few years ago actually based on Call of Cthulhu rules. Um, with with giant mechs. With giant mechs, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I guess, I guess maybe there. it's maybe it's kind of like riffing on a Pacific Rim style of game or story, perhaps. Yeah. So you know you are ba- you're beating up Godzilla in your in your giant automata. Yeah, mm. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think say, so. Yeah, I mean, as I said, to me it just felt a bit unfocused. But obviously, if it's been successful elsewhere, I um, you know, I'm not their target audience, and there is a target audience for it. So, uh, and as I said, I mean, thirty thousand pounds pledged is a is a is a pretty it's quite impressive, you know, actually. Um, just the pity yeah. that they'd set it's their really target. It's bugging me what this game is called. So <laughs> and I should stop trying to think about it. Um, so anyway, yeah, we will uh, we will uh, get some people on board before their next campaign and they will come and talk to us about um, uh, both Eldritch their failed Kickstarter automatic. and their soon-to-be successful relaunch of said yeah, Kickstarter. Yeah, I'm sure. Anyway, where are we in our world of gaming? Um, oh, UK Games Expo. Indeed. What are we? What are we? What are we doing at UK Games Expo this year, Matt? We're doing everything at UK Games Expo. <laughs> the whole show is about us. It feels we're really busy this year. We are going to be very um, busy. Shall we start off with the fact that you are going to be doing another writing workshop? Yep, uh, I'm going to do another writing workshop uh, on the website. It says uh, top ten tips, which was last year's. That wasn't what I put on their system, so I need to do a bit of work about getting that corrected but yes okay so it's, what is it going to be another 10 tips uh, slightly no, not top tips that's that you're th- kind of throwing me under the bus here because i told you before we recorded that i can't bloody remember what i put down <laughs> <laughs> now you're just just exposing my incompetence to the world again i mean you know it's it's not it's not hard to see at the best of times so but um it is a lesson for everybody if you are trying to wake it out as a professional writer remember what you wrote Write it down, in fact. <laughs> anyway, so it'll be it'll be similar lines to before. It'll be a conversation, open conversation with with anybody who wants to come along, and we'll be talking about writing and game design. And you know, I'll, if I can think of something interactive to do, then we'll throw in something like that as well. So um, it's always good fun. I've been delighted and very kind of you know humbled by how many people have come. I mean, I've done it three years running now, and last year we had about forty five people turned up, and then. You know, it was supposed to be a 50 minute long thing. After an hour and a half, we were kicked out of the room because there were more people coming. So it was great fun. And it was um, a real pleasure to, to meet so many fabulous people. So doing it again this year. So come along, sign up, have a look for it. And um, Saturday afternoon, 4.30 to 5.30. Um, yeah, it'll be great. It'll be great. We're also um, uh, having another recording, live recording of our podcast. Um, we are, and we have a we have a twist this time, and the <laughs> twist is, it's going to be. I'm, I keep wanting to call it a pub quiz, but I have to have to stop doing that because there will be no beer uh, unless you bring your own, I guess. Um, but there will be a a 
a free league themed quiz of some show, some format. And uh, we'll be organising so, so, teams yeah. and um, there will be prizes. So, like last, so unlike last year, where we just gave stuff away at the end, this year you've got to earn it. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, but there will be freebies. They'll be fun. They'll be, you know, it's not going to be a serious thing, obviously. And we'll interweave that around the podcast. Yeah, that should be good. Looking forward to it. I, I really enjoyed it last time. That was great fun and um, lovely having a... Yeah, an audience who were, you know, prepared to listen to us in person talking shit. And, um, and more importantly, yeah. prepared to give us content by talking shit of their own. Exactly. Indeed. Uh, but they didn't talk shit. Only we did. Yeah. They talked, they, again, they, they they talked they podcast gold. Plenty of podcast gold, yes. Yeah. So uh, it was great Absolutely. actually to meet people that actually wanted to come to our show. That's that's the key thing. I mean, you know. Yeah. That was fabulous. Um, it wasn't yeah. a big room, but it was pretty full of people. Uh, so that was lovely. We'd love to see you back again. And um, we'd we'd love to um, test your free league knowledge in a way that works <laughs> in an audio-only podcast. I was thinking the pitch arounds yes. are going to be quite difficult. To, not, not to do on the day, but to get across to our listeners. We might afterwards. want to skip the picture round, maybe. <laughs> I think there's something a bit more imaginative yeah, than that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yes. But we will, we are, well, that challenge of doing a podcast worthy quiz, and um, you will hear the results when you come and see us. But maybe the biggest news isn't what we're doing necessarily, although I fear I may have been roped in on it. But what Freely are doing in, in, uh, in cooperation with UK Games Expo, and that is the very first national Dragon Bane Championships. Well, I wonder, actually, whether this should be international Dragon Bane Championships. Because have they run a Dragon Bane Championship have, in yes. Sweden? And they're going to do it again in, okay. um, oh, in, uh, at uh, okay. uh, Gen Con as well. So, uh, uh, but just because it's a national right, championship, okay. you don't have to be a native of the UK to join. Just <laughs> make that. No. And it's and it's going to be the premier national Dragon Bane Championships because it's obviously going to be better than the ones in Sweden and the US, obviously. Yes, yes, it's 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 going to be the best. Um, now, uh, this is the thing, of course. Modern 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 day story based gamers may not understand the concept of competition in RT in RPGs, but it was a thing that happened quite regularly in yeah. the '80s. And given that Dragon Bane is an '80s game. Um, they thought it'd be fun, first of all, to revive it. I think they did it at... Oh, no, it wasn't at Gothcon. It was at their launch event for the um, for Dragon yeah, Bane itself. Yeah, I yeah. think they, they ran it there. Um, and it, it was such good fun, and everybody enjoyed it in a light-hearted way uh, that they wanted to do it again here in a UK Games Expo and again uh, for you American listeners at Gen Con too. That's uh, good fun. I, rem- I remember playing them at, um, at Games Day back in the 80s. And uh, yeah, it was mm. really good. I remember I did one which was a Golden Heroes one, and I I I progressed from the uh, from the what do you call it their their preliminary round and got through to the final, and then um, in the final story we were all imprisoned on these little cells on the moon, and I could I could survive in mm. in vacuum, so I smashed my way out. Only then realised that all the others couldn't survive in vacuum, and if they broke through into my cell, they would all die. So I spent the rest of the scenario fixing the cell that I'd broken, 
Um, I didn't win. I, I didn't win. <laughs> I didn't win the uh, the prize, but it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So this will be a timed thing. Um, it's going to be a very similar, if not the same, adventure that they used in Sweden, although in English. Um, and uh, effectively, the, you'll be in a sinking tower, and so you've got to climb. Ah, yeah. uh, there'll be a big egg timer keeping keeping track of the timing and uh, you've got to get up the levels as fast as you can while also of course um you know getting past obstacles and collecting succeeding treasure. at the and objectives i think broadly speaking yeah there'll be a number of objectives that will get scored on um now we've got a big room we're in the toot suite uh which means we've potentially got 20 tables to fill wow and so I know that uh, Anna has put out via the um, via the free agents yep. a request for GMs, uh, but yeah, GMs, GMs in particular at this stage, uh, sign up. Uh, if you're already a member of uh, the free agents, then you'll have had an email from Anna about it with a link to sign up. You have to effectively sign up in a couple of places. We'll put these links maybe in the show notes as well. Uh, sign up. Uh, at UK Games Expo, but also drop Anna a line and tell her you're interested in doing this, just so that we can keep everybody together and, um, you know, send out scenarios and stuff. And then I think I'm emceeing it, which um, which maybe wasn't my intention when I started talking to Anna about it, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So it'll be fun anyway. There will be prizes. Uh, there may be losers' prizes as well. We haven't quite worked out what the prizes are going to be, but I think there will be medals. Definitely medals. Didn't, uh, didn't I um, see Anna put in a large order for wooden spoons? Oh, and a huge <laughs> order for wooden spoons, I'm sure, yeah. Useful, useful. Uh, you know, we always need a wooden spoon. And if you aren't a member of the Free Agents, then get in touch with Anna at Free League and join the Free Agents. You'll find the details on their yeah. website. And um, and get in there. And w whatever you, whatever you do running um, running the competition for us counts towards your volunteer hours uh, for UK Games Expo. So you do enough um, GMing at UK UK Games Expo, and you get benefits like, for example, a hotel mm -hmm. room if you do enough. Indeed. And <coughs> the hours on our game count count for count, count towards for that UK yeah. Games Expo's yeah. hours. Yeah. Cool. Right, that's it. World of Gaming in thirty, 30, 30 minutes. Is that it for World of Gaming? We got anything else? I don't. No, nothing no. else, mate. Nothing else. Not till, not till next time. And goodbye, Dave. Come on. <laughs> okay, okay. I know you're bursting to tell everybody, but not till no, then. That's cool. <laughs> that is that is cool. Fine. Okay. Well, um, War Stories and Masters of the Air. So, um, Apple Apple TV Plus are now uh, broadcasting Masters of the Air, which is the the third series in Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg's. Uh, I don't know what if they call the whole thing something, but all their their um, recreation of well, World War Two. Traditionally, it'd be known as a trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> hey, look! It's Sunday morning. I've only had one cup of tea. I mean, give us you know, give a man a break. Um, it started with Band of Brothers and then went on to Pacific and then now Masters of the Air is the third instalment of that trilogy. Um, now, obviously, War Stories 
came about from uh, Alagila's, uh, who was the CEO of Firelock, his love of Band of Brothers and wanted to kind of recreate those stories in role-playing form. Um, but you were going to look at Masters of the Air and how you might run that within the War Stories framework. On Apple TV+, Plus, the series Masters of the Air has just started. Produced by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks, it's widely considered to be part of a trilogy with Band of Brothers and Pacific, two well-received HBO dramas. So, last episode, I foolishly set myself a challenge. If War Stories is inspired by Band of Brothers and Dave's Rendezvous with Destiny campaign broadly follows a similar post-D-Day arc, and if the company is also working on a Pacific campaign, could I imagine how a Masters of the Air style campaign might work using the same rule set? I say it was a foolish challenge because the potential problems might be all too readily apparent. The first of these is the problematic nature of the subject. Masters of the Air looks from the trailers to be telling two different stories. The tale of a bomber crew based in East Anglia in the first half and the Tuskegee Red Tails flying out of Italy later on. At least one of our patrons, whose grandmother died in an air raid, wasn't sure if the bombing crew on raids to German workers' suburbs is making a good game. And that is a very good point. The player characters in Rendezvous with Destiny are professional, even if drafted, soldiers aiming at and killing other soldiers. On the other hand, to quote from the memoir of a British bomb aimer, until recently, we were told, Dresden had been comparatively unimportant. But since the recent advance of Russian troops, the population of Dresden had been swollen by a million refugees. Conditions there were chaotic, and ours was to be a panic raid, adding confusion and disrupting communications. So, not soldiers, not a military target at all, not even a factory, but civilians, refugees. The author, Miles Tripp, describes the quiver of outrage at the briefing and dropping the bombs clear of the periphery in the hope that they would fall harmlessly in the fields as a last gesture to an ideal of common humanity. Now, many RPGs deal with the loss of humanity, not least Vampire the Masquerade, but, for better or worse, they are generally more visceral, more intimate experiences. In that game, you must role-play the hunt, overpower or seduce the victim before draining their blood. A bomber crew, who never got to look their victims in the eye at the moment of death, might as well be taking a bus to Clapham. Only once does Trip seem to express a sense of achievement on a mission. On a daylight raid to destroy gun emplacements near West Capel on the Dutch coast, he writes, For a moment, 
I thought the dark cluster was going to fall short and curl into the sea, but the bombs cleared the water and seemed to race up the beach before exploding directly on the emplacements. This was the bomb aimer's ideal target, a military objective with no danger to civilians and everything staked on a direct hit because anything less would have been a complete waste of time and money. When the bombs exploded, I felt the elation of a darts player who has scored a double top to win and the satisfaction of a craftsman who has done a job well. But experiences like this are rare in the book and almost entirely obliterated by GH navigation technology, an early triangulation system where the bomb aimer is told to release the payload when the plane reaches a particular point, not actually using the bomb site at all. Which brings us to the old problem of many a spaceship-based RPG. There is very little for everyone to do in a ship combat. Often people say only the pilot gets to do the fun stuff in a spaceship combat. I would argue, in a bomber, not even the pilot gets to have fun. They go where the navigator, wireless operator and then bomb aimer tell them. Only a few times in the book do they deviate from their course. Few enough times for the author here to think it's worth mentioning when it happens. For example weaving from side to side when a fighter is on their tail, or making a sudden correction when it seems they're about to fly straight into a bomb dropped by another crew. There is very little chance, even for the pilot, to react to the movements of the enemy. There is a meme in RPG culture. Rocks fall, everyone dies. Which is shorthand for the unfairness of a capricious GM killing the whole party because of some slight or other, or because they're running the old D&D module Tomb of Horrors. But in fact, it accurately describes the fate of most lost bomber crews. Tripp describes on an early mission to Solingen, The Lancasters were bunched so close that at least three were bombed out of the sky by their fellows flying directly above. And he reports on a Lancaster blown to bits by flak, another which went down in a cartwheel of flame, and another crew he knew, Q. Queenie, blown up over the target. There was no hope of any survivors. There is little chance for personal action to save the day. Tripp recounts a daylight sortie on Gelsenkirchen, where the plane is hit by flak, which short-circuits an early radar device called Fishpond. The panel bursts into flame, which makes me think of the frequently exploding bridge consoles in Star Trek. Every crewman is issued with a fire extinguisher, but every crewman apparently tucks it out of the way somewhere for the flight. In the acrid smoke, the wireless operator, who looks after Fishpond and GH, couldn't find his. Neither could the flight engineer or the navigator. Eventually, one was found and the fire put out. But that is the only incident in 40 missions, bar a couple of violent course corrections by the pilot, where the actions of the crew saved the plane. 
So quite apart from the frightening prospect of flying in a straight line while anti-aircraft gunners and fighters try to kill you, there is also a challenge in making missions playable. That's assuming, after you've heard this, that you even want to try. And I'm going to suggest that you can't, at least not in the same way that Core War Stories makes ground combat a little like a skirmish war game. You will never create the fear that the crew's experienced while you sit safe round the table, and you won't be satisfied with the routine nature of the missions. If you want a game where you can take more personal action in a plane, I point you towards Night Witches, where crews of two fly slow and fragile biplanes towards the target. Even in that game, where the scale and the almost whites-of-their-eyes intimacy of the sorties is naturally more playable, a lot of the role-playing in that game happens on the ground, not in the air. A lot of the role-playing happens on the ground, not in the air. And that is the secret to running an air war game in War Stories. Indeed, it's an opportunity to expand War Stories into the arena of the war at home. Miles Tripp writes frequently of his courting a women's auxiliary Air Force meteorologist called Audrey. I knew Audrey as his wife when I was growing up, so that is really the story of his war. The sorties themselves should be like inconvenient punctuation points in a game of one or more bases, the surrounding villages and trips to experience London's nightlife. Indeed, you could punctuate a single session of play with two or more sorties because they might simply involve every player rolling a particular skill once for the whole mission and then narrating the mission depending on the number of successes and the foobars generated. So the gunners would roll heavy weapons, the bomb aimer operate, the flight engineer and wireless operator tech, the navigator survival and the pilot command. Obviously the crew would have new specialisations. Air gunner 1 and 2, pilot 1 and 2, etc. to flavour the skills a bit more towards aircrew. Those specialisations are likely, though, to be simple modifiers, not more contextual mechanics, given the simple roll-just-once-each-mission resolution. If anyone fails their roll, the mission is not a success, but they get home. If two rolls fail, the crew might not get home. Three or more means the plane was blown out of the sky. If everyone rolls a success, the crew get home, mission accomplished. Although the number of foobars generated will add complications. It's worth saying that lucky strikes can be used and earned in the usual way. The complications might be as inconsequential as an argument over who has the task of emptying the pilot's piss pot to one or more crew getting injured or frostbitten. Indeed, the complication might or should extend into the role-playing at home. I can imagine a table of example complications, but the group might be more imaginative. 
the crew and GM together narrate what happened on the mission only after all the rolls are made and foobars counted. But what form does the home base role-playing take? Well, that depends on your group. Brilliant drama can come out of romance with locals or women's Royal Auxiliary Air Force uh, personnel, uh, rivalry with other squadrons or indeed other forces, internal politics in the officer's mess, sneaking off base without leave for all sorts of reasons, and even perceived unfairness of disciplinary proceedings. Tripp's best friend in the crew, Harry, the rear gunner and oldest crew member at 25, was Jamaican, and he would stand up for West Indian ground crew who he perceived were being treated unfairly. He always had a gut instinct about whether there would be a mission that day, and often correctly guessed where it might be. He was right so often that some of the rest of the squadron feared he might be a spy of some sort. Somehow, I feel it would be even easier to come up with entertaining home-based storylines in the relatively rich, if rationed, background of the UK, well away from the front lines, than it was in Night Witches. But if your group wants more procedural role-playing, you could have a Nazi plot on home soil for them to discover. Something like, oh, I don't know, a group of Polish paratroopers are not what they seem. In reality, they're Germans here to kill Churchill. An eagle just landed to give me that idea. Or if the sortie rolls don't go well, you could have them downed behind enemy lines, working their way back to Blighty though that might actually work better as a solo game. I should finish by saying that my research for this article, such as it was, was only rereading my uncle Miles Tripp's book, The Eighth Passenger, as well as watching the first three episodes of Masters of the Air. And it's worth noting that there are some differences between the USAAF and the RAF, though not, as is implied in Masters of the Air, that the RAF exclusively flew night missions. Flying Fortresses, for example, had 10 crew opposed to the Lancaster's 7. The technologies of the two air forces were different. The advanced US bomb site was as closely guarded a secret as the atom bomb. Some British bombers were equipped with them, but they would be carried to those planes in a locked box before each mission and taken away afterwards. Bomb aimers are called bombardiers in the USAAF, and of course, the ranks are different. Most British aircrew were non-commissioned, made up only to the rank of sergeant, if flying. I'm not sure, after writing this, if I even want a bomber supplement to exist for war stories. But if it did, there'd be a wealth of material to work into it. Yeah, great piece. I, I enjoyed uh, listening to that, Matt. Thank you very much. I mean, it's it's interesting because, you know, the whole rocks falls, everyone dies thing is something that me and Gabe Garcia sort of thought a bit about in when we were designing war stories. And there's a, there's a you know, we mention arbitrary death mm. because obviously, you know, on in any field of, of combat, of conflict, um, certainly in World War Two, there was the chance that you would just be killed by something that you didn't know was happening. Yeah. You know, an artillery round lands in your foxhole 
or you know your tank gets hit by you know a Panzerfaust that you didn't see you know before you know it you don't even know you're in danger and then you're dead so we, we kind of mentioned that and and just sort of uh, kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for try and you know warn the GM off a little bit about it and that actually in some cases it might be an appropriate way to finish off something but those cases are going to be pretty few and far between because you know a TPK out of the blue is is quite is quite a harsh yeah way to and end you see you know if you're um, infantry the chances of the entire party being in the same foxhole when the when the shell hits and blowing everybody up is slightly rarer than everybody being on the same plane in um uh yeah yeah absolutely yeah and even and even the thing and even the idea of of running a, a tanker campaign which you know which is ideal for role playing mm. in that sense um and probably better although we'll talk about this in a minute better than a a, a bomber yeah kind of campaign is that there is there is still some agency yeah. for the players they might be able to see the the enemy tank before it sees them if the tank gets hit they've got a chance to jump out yes possibly before it before it brews up and explodes so there is some agency there whereas as you say if another plane just cuts your wing your plane's wing off that's it you you know the whole crew yeah. are going to get yeah, killed yeah absolutely and yeah you know i mean uh i think uh, Masters of the Air has has in in the third episode, which is a no spoilers. Uh, let's say lots of people bail out of a lot of aeroplanes in that in that in that episode. <laughs> and actually, you know, maybe from the accounts of uh, I've already read this one book, um, and but he doesn't talk about many people bailing out of aeroplanes. He does talk about somebody who bailed out of an aeroplane and survived. But he notes that that person had a weird premonition about keeping his parachute on and everybody in Elsie's crew had yeah. taken their parachute off. And so that was the only reason that he survived. Um, so, you know, most people yeah. don't even wear their parachutes in the plane, in the mission. So the chances of bailing out no. are very small. No, I guess, it's a, I guess it's a bit like the fatalistic approach that um, uh, sort of 18th century sailors would take, that very yeah. few of them could swim. And the idea, well, why, why, sh why should I bother swimming? If I fall overboard in the middle of the ocean, I'm going to die anyway. So I might yeah. as well die quickly. So, um, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, it's a interesting. I mean, so from, from a gaming perspective, um, it's a mm. tough one, as you say. From a purely gaming perspective, let's put the war thing to one side for the moment. We'll come to back, back to that in a minute. But from a gaming perspective itself, it's, it's a tough one because, you know, on the mission, which would be traditionally the the focus of this kind of campaign your players no, don't do I, very much you know they fly the they fly the plane in a straight line they press the bum, button to to drop the bombs the gunners take a few pot shots at the fighters and almost certainly miss them um and then yeah. you either live or die uh so kind of what you were talking about though is then making the missions the you know the the, the backdrop yeah to another another game entirely, and the other game entirely is the lives of the crew on the ground and the drama that they have in their everyday life. So it's so it becomes a game about everyday life, about relationships and about uh, you know problems and and uh, you know doing you know, living a normal life, whilst every now and then you have the you know the risk of of being yeah being and, and i think in, in it's almost exactly the opposite to something like rendezvous with destiny where you don't get much time off you don't get much freedom 
uh, of movement when when you're not fighting in in an infantry column in yeah. on the continent you can't drive into london on your motorbike or whatever then whereas you could and, you know they frequently were <clears throat> you know, the number of times he mentions being absent without leave yeah. um it was just routine to sneak out of the camp uh, you know as soon as harry had said he didn't there would be a mission for the day and very rarely get caught as being absent without leave to go off and, and do stuff so you've actually yeah. got more freedom and, and, you know, and actually more safety as well, let's face it, because, you know, we're nowhere near the front in um, in Britain yes. at the war. So you've got plenty of time to go off and do other stuff. So it does become more about that everyday life, if that's what interests gamers. Mm. Of course, um, some people may yeah, prefer yeah. I mean, the other a more procedural game where they've got, you know, objectives and stuff. Yeah. I mean, the other alternative is... That you, you know, as as many role playing games do, is you put the reality on one side and you have the RPG version of that reality, which is a lot more exciting. So you could you could make it that there is more to do on those missions. It could be that you know the the planes of, you know, you make the missions more like the planes you know are yeah are dodging and fi- fighting enemy fighters. And so, so there is more you could do. Yeah, I mean, you, you could. Uh, I don't, you know, I, um, I think if I was setting this in the Second World War, I think for a start, I'd focus on the Mosquito Squadron. So you've only got a couple of crew in each aeroplane, and then if you look at some of the my yeah. favourite flying war films, actually, things like Mosquito Squadron and Six Three Three Squadron, are two films uh, where they've they've kind of got their, their daylight. Mosquitoes are more like fighters than bombers anyway in, in terms of their manoeuvrability and stuff. So um, it could be more like, I don't know, um, uh, Tachyon Squadron that we've played. Uh, I think that's what I might yeah. be inclined yeah. to. And again, you've got targets there. I mean, I know one of the targets in, I can't remember if it's 633 or Mosquito Squadron. One of them is a heavy water factory. But the other one is actually blowing up a prison camp, isn't it? So it's, there's a morally dubious um, uh, yeah. mission there, but it's it's kind of an interesting moral debate to have as you're as you're doing this. Um, yeah, I mean that. I mean that brings us on to the kind of the mm. war as a topic for a, for a game um, or for any kind of entertainment media, really. I think because you you know particularly. So this is there's a number of things here. So I mean, immediately you are stepping into a a world of of morality that is different from the morality we might have sat behind our desk or going mm-hmm. down the pub today, where for for a soldier or you know anyone obeying orders, um, yeah, unintended bad things might happen, or even intended bad things might happen, but they are in, intended to happen for a bigger purpose, um. But that brings the whole, like you say, about the, the you know the bombing of civilian areas, the bombing of, you know, uh, the the idea of the bombing campaign being to destroy the will of the enemy people, to therefore make the you know make the enemy surrender, um, mm. and that's a real issue, I think, in these kind of games. But it's but it exists in every game, so it exists in war stories, I think, because in war stories your characters have the opportunity to shoot mm. prisoners if they want to 
Um, they have the opportunity. You know, they they may well do things that will kill civilians as they're going through the campaign. So that so that question is always there. So there's always a question, a bigger question of should we be recreating these moments mm. for fun? And yeah, and that's that's a that's a big question. Now I think with war stories, what me and Gabe tried to do was. Um, kind of two or threefold firstly it was it was you know we stressed you had to be you know, got to be respectful in in dealing with these uh you know these circumstances these landscapes as a gaming environment because there are you know people you know the, the history was created through an awful lot of pain and misery and suffering and death um and you know not immediately that, that doesn't feel like oh that's fun you know, um, but the whole war um, genre is massive. People love love it. They they you know they're interested in the books. They watch Band of Brothers and, and and you know Masters of the Air, and so there is an appetite for consuming this kind of stuff. Um, but I think you know with war stories, it was wanting to try and be a little. You know, it wasn't an educational mission, but. You know, the, certainly in Rendezvous with Destiny, I'm trying to present things yeah. accurately, and so the players are, are are getting to experience, at least in a tiny, tiny fraction of a way, what those people went through, and to have that experience as a learning opportunity to, you know, I would hope think, you know, well, let's not put ourselves in this position again. Yeah, um, I mean, there's an interesting... I, again, you know, I don't you, know whether you, you go back if you into go back, the campaign... Um, yeah, sorry, go on. ...whether it was an invention of Thomas's, but when I was playing in Thomas's run-through of your campaign, there were um, some French resistance fighters who were helping us out who wanted to take their revenge on a couple of women they saw as collaborators. Um, and, yeah, yeah and my, my character, campaign, yeah. I believe I would... I don't want to make myself that hero here in in air quotes but i believe i mm. hung back from the rest of my platoon and said let them do what they want and moved off and i hung back and actually persuaded uh one of the resistance people to let them go um so then mm. you know that yeah and then a bit later on i think there were another couple of collaborators um who were slightly wealthier and i guess um i think even i thought ah oh, sod it <laughs> Let them do what they want to them. Um, so, uh, uh, <laughs> so yeah. So okay. So it's interesting because I in in mm -hmm. certainly on that first one, I they were collaborators. Yeah. They were forced to collaborate by the Germans. So I wanted to give that uh, nuance. In yeah, you know, it's not just black and white. You know, the French who were collaborating yeah. weren't necessarily no all evil. Yeah, you know, these these were doing it at the point of a gun, and they were mm. they were acting as cooks and cleaners and gardeners for you know their their officer corps in that in that particular place. But you know, are they do they deserve to be shot dead for that kind of collaboration? You know, it's it's again trying to again you know sort of like ease open the 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 the, the moral minefield is the wrong word, but the moral conundrums, the moral grayness. That, that that came about in all of the, all of these situations, and it's not just oh collaborator, you know you should be shot dead, or or, or collaborator we should let you off. It's um, yeah, it's more yeah. complicated than that. Um, 
so you know I, I can understand it but still in that infantry campaign you are generally fighting professional soldiers and here uh, the, the rocks fall everyone dies isn't just about tpk is it it is about that capricious nature of bombs falling on a whole bunch i mean particularly for you know the the sort of yeah. citywide destruction bombing that was part of the campaign it was interesting i noticed that miles trip in yeah. 1960 whenever already when he wrote this book let me just have a look at this i have a first edition um signed by the entire aircraft cool. i have to say 1969 this first came out um even then <laughs> he was calling wow. bomber harris butcher harris and he said I, I, I'm yeah. nervous of quoting him too much because of there may be a sense of revisionism here in his own rememberings of the event. But um, but they called him Butcher Harris, he said, even during the war when they were flying under him. So, uh, yeah. But again, I think it's it's a it's a really interesting question uh, to explore, you know, is mm. just generally, not necessarily even in gaming in the, you know, crews military crews who are told given a, an order that they would normally or naturally follow but then if that order is deliberately to drop the bombs mm -hmm. say on dresden or london um coventry whatever to to kill civilians um or you know drop a nuclear bomb on hiroshima mm. or nagasaki to deliberately kill civilians for a wider strategic Benefit. yeah purpose um you know the, the, how many of those crews are going to say no i'm not going to do that and then or how many of those crews are going to say like you know, i think what you said in your piece there that well you know damn it i dropped my bomb 500 mm. yards too early Ooh, it hit that field you know rather than the city and it's interesting i should so point out that you know it's, it's getting really interesting there's a so in in that, the, the next night, he has a date planned with Audrey, but another mission is announced, which is very similar to the Dresden mission. Another town quite close by. I can't remember where it is. It's not quite as famous, but with much the same effect. And um, already within within the space of that 24 hours, he is hardened. And he suddenly, you know, said, oh, you know, I can't disobey orders. I've got to be professional about this. That's my job. And yeah. um, and. You know, he doesn't yeah. he, he doesn't have the moral qualms that he had only a day before. Um Yeah. I mean it's I mean it's really interesting as well because you know, we are analysing this from you know the the safety and the comfort of twenty twenty four. Um what we don't get is a sense of how terrible and how desperate it felt mm. in nineteen forty three or nineteen forty four. Um, and this is an example, you know, something I use, um, you know, if you go back as far as ancient Rome, uh, you know, and people say, oh, the Romans were terrible. They killed, you know, they captured all the, you know, the, they would they would besiege a city and then they would kill everybody in it um, once it fell. And again, I think, again, it, yes, on the face of it, that's absolutely morally a terrible thing to do. But if you put yourself in the position of the people at the time and certainly in the Roman civilization, a part of the reason or a contributing reason why they were successful was that every time they came into a conflict, they considered it a conflict of life and death. That if they lost this conflict, Rome would no longer exist and everybody in Rome would die. And so they were bloody ruthless. 
absolutely, bitterly, horribly ruthless. Um, but again, from 2024, looking back at it, that is a horrible thing to do. If we were able to place ourselves in the mindset and the culture of the time, it might feel less extreme. And I think the similar thing goes on, on, on here with, because, you know, let's take, for example, Dresden or Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Being on board those planes, dropping those bombs, knowing, particularly for the nuclear weapons, knowing that within five minutes you'll have killed tens of thousands of people. I mean, blimey, what a, you know, what an order that is to follow. Uh, you know, unless, you know, you need to kind of think about the weight and the strength and the power of the culture and what horrors they'd already been through over the previous four or five years. It's uh, it's a very difficult one for us to really understand. But I think as a historian, you have to try and place yourself in that culture to be able to better understand what was going through mm. the minds of the people at the time. Yeah, yeah, it's... it. Yeah, I'm not quite sure I can come up with an answer to that, actually. A continuation, even. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it's a bit... Of, yeah, I mean, it's it's something that, that has always kind of, you know, bugged me a little bit over the years as a, as a historian. Um, you can't no. judge those people by the values of today. You have to... You have to set the context and yeah. try and understand that. And that is almost impossible, I think. For those of us who haven't been through that kind of that kind of war, that kind of situation, it's yeah, almost it's impossible so for us to fully understand. The, the last third of this how book those people felt. is him in the sixties reuniting with all his various old crewmates. He only really stayed in con in constant contact with Harry, his yeah. tail gunner, um, who moved into London. And so, you know, he he stayed in touch with him, but with everybody else uh, his pilot was Australian and so, you know, was in Australia. And, and he, he goes on a bit of a quest for the purpose of yeah. writing this book to meet up with everybody and ask them a set of questions, which included moral questions like, like, you know, what did you think about when we bombed Dresden? And it's interesting that he remembers being told that, yeah. um, that they were bombing Dresden, as, as I quoted in there, because... It was full of refugees. Um, only one other crew member, remember, crew member yeah, says they remember that from the briefing. All the others deny being told that. Um, and and then he, he's also asking them, and yeah. it's interesting that, you know, a lot of them are, this is in their late 60s, they're middle-aged. They don't all immediately say, yes, it was. Well, I think... In the end, they all come back to yes, it was, but with with some of them, there um, was um, yes, yeah. definitely a bit of um, hesitation before saying yes, it was. Um, uh, mm. Well, I guess certainly over over time, you can only imagine what mm. your kind of feelings of of guilt or you know that these yeah you know, these men might have felt when they've had time to think about it after the war was won and and then, you know, really understand the yeah. full horror of what actually happened on the ground underneath those bombing raids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so anyway, we, we, we ended up on a very, very low tone on this. But, but, I, I, but I think, you know, you could... I, I think there's definitely a way where you could do 
Royal Air Force or Air Force style games. I wonder, like you say, whether it should be Mosquito Squadrons or possibly, um, you know, you could even have a fighter squadron and, you know, you, you know their job is to protect the, the bombers. So I'm they- interested to see how the second half of Masters of the Air is, or oh, I say second half, I have no idea, but there's a point where Shooty Gatwa is the star of yeah. a sequence of episodes about the Red Tails. And I think in a way that's kind of interesting in itself in that, uh, you know, talked about um, Jamaican uh, rear gunner on on Miles' yeah. crew. Of course, there was total segregation there. So if you're wanting to be more representative as somebody in the 21st century might want to be, you have got to focus on the Tuskegee Airmen because they're just about the only black people flying in the American Air Force, uh, yeah. Army Air Force. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they do that fighter one. Um I think it'll be yeah. interesting to watch. But um, to raise the mood, Dave, I want to ask mm-hmm. you, what is best in life? Okay, this sounds like a trick question. You're failing it already, I've got to say. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> what is best in life? I can't remember the exact quote myself because I'm not that much of a, a Conan nerd, but it is to destroy your enemies and hear oh, the see, lamentations yeah. of their women. Right, yes, yes. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm so much beyond that. I stopped doing that like 20 years ago. Sorry, I'm retired from, from hearing women lamenting. Right, uh, well, yes. Uh, I, that was a segue into your Conan news. And the um, content of next episode. Yes, so I um, so it, that was quite why I was when I had a quick look at um, Heroic Signatures website there when you mentioned it earlier. I just looked them mm. up, and they've got Conan thing on there. Now, as I I don't know what they're doing with Conan, but um, I they own working... Conan. They own the IP. Uh, okay, so well, Monolith Company in France have obviously licensed that from. From them, uh, yes. From Heroic Signatures. And they are doing uh, a new Conan role-playing game, which I, um, I'm i I'm writing adventures for, or tales, as we're calling them in, uh, in mm-hmm. Conan. So I've been, the last few weeks, I've been writing four of those. Uh, and that's been great fun, actually. I've really enjoyed um, writing those. Uh, along with, um, I'll say a lot along with, the, um, the guy I'm working with is a guy called Shep, Chris Shepperson who uh, used to work for Modifius. Uh, he runs Handsaw Publishing, his own little publishing um, company, which uh, is producing a game called The Gaia Complex, which uh, there's currently a source book up on Kickstarter. And we will be talking to him in a couple of weeks about about The Gaia Complex and maybe a little bit about Conan the Barbarian, or just Conan RPG. And... Um, yeah, it would be a great opportunity to talk about it and see what see what he can say at this point about the new Conan game. So I'm I'm not sure that I can say much more than what I've already said, but uh, yeah, Shep's a great guy. It will be great to have him on on the show, and we will be recording an interview with him um, tomorrow. In fact, and that's when we're doing our recording. But everybody else is going to have to wait a full two weeks from the point of listening this to this, indeed, uh, to hear that episode. And we must remember when we record tomorrow to get him to say a certain catchphrase. But I'm going to let you say it this time <laughs> because it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And may Conan make your women lament.
<laughs> no, that's not the catchphrase no, I was thinking of. That's not. Sorry it's not again. a great one either, is it? Really? No, it doesn't it's work. Not, uh, no, and it's not. You know, it's not very PC and in it, this kind of and day. And Conan makes right, a really we... lament is they're killing you, Dave. <laughs> he is killing you yeah, so that your woman exactly. and Jenny and, and... can lament. <laughs> that's not I a great twist. Right now, she, I, think, I think she'd be quite pleased. <laughs> Let's not have Conan let, kill let, all our listeners. And let Conan make your women smile. No, no okay. that's even worse. <laughs> May the icons bless your adventures. Finally, got there. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.